0: Well, keep your Bibles open there to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11, and we're going to study today through verse 22. It's so good to see a number of visitors with us today. Many of you are visiting with us, perhaps with family or friends. Some of you, perhaps, are looking for a church home. We want you to know that you have honored us by being here, but more importantly, you have honored God by being here because you have made a statement by your choice that you want to do what God wants you to do today. We're going to try to continue to please God by taking a portion of His Word and be able to focus upon it for the next few minutes and try to learn something that hopefully will make us better people this week. As you begin Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he concentrates on the blessings to be found in Christ. I like blessings. I think everyone does. We like it when good things happen to us. God is good all the time. James would put it this way in James 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow cast in turning. God is good to us. However as you focus on in the book of Ephesians, it is by being in Christ, that is being in His body, that we enjoy these blessings. If you'll notice chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, He says, And He put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. That means that all these wonderful spiritual blessings which were promised to us in chapter 1 and verse 3 are found in Christ, and that's by being in his body in his church. That means that you and I, who are members of that wonderful body called the church, ought to be appreciative for the very generous nature of the salvation that God has provided. I do not deserve it. You do not deserve it. God has been so generous to give it. Gentiles have a special reason to be thankful. And as you study the book of Ephesians, Paul will focus his attention on who Gentiles really are and on why Gentiles are such a blessed people. So this morning I'd like to focus on three things in this passage. It will be a study of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Verses 11 and 12, the key word is to remember. Verses 13 through 18, the key word there will be reconciled. Reconciled into one body. Then in verses 19 through 22, the key word will be resident. Let's look at this section of Scripture. I want to go back and look at two of the three verses that Brother Chuck read just a few moments ago. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh, By hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let me focus your attention to those first few words. Therefore, remember that you. Remember You see, memory is something that is good. God has designed us in such a fashion that I can remember things. Some of us suffer a loss of memory of some things. But God has designed us so we can remember who our family are. We can remember, for instance, where we live. We can remember the past, the good and the bad And a memory is something that is good, spiritually speaking. Let me focus your attention for just a second. Luke 17, verse 32. Jesus simply said, remember Lot's wife. I'm reading through the Bible, and I'm reading through the book of Genesis, and I come to the discussion of the city of Sodom. I learned that Lot and his family had moved to Sodom, And I learned that God had decided because of the wickedness of Sodom to destroy the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. And God sent messengers to Lot to tell him and his family to flee the city of Sodom, which they did. But Lot's wife, because she loved the people there, perhaps loved the lifestyle there, turned back and the Bible said she became a pillar of salt. And Jesus said, "Remember that. Remember Lot's wife." In Revelation chapter two and verse five, when Paul or when John is writing to the churches of Asia and specifically to the church at Ephesus, he says, "Remember therefore from where you have fallen, and repent and do the first works." or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember from where you have fallen. You know, that's a very important statement in and of itself. As I look over this audience, there are a lot of people who when they became Christians were very devout in heart, mind, and soul. Their devotion to the Lord was so dedicated that they would not miss a service of the church. Anytime anybody asked them to volunteer to do something, they would say, I'll help. Let me know what I need to do. However, years pass, and people's love begins to wane, and now they come sporadically, they rarely sing. And when asked to volunteer to help in some area, they would say, Find somebody else, not me. It's good for us to remember what we used to be when we became a child of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21, the prophet Samuel came to a young man by the name of Saul to anoint him to be king over God's people, the very first king. And in 1 Samuel 9 and verse 21, And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, why then do you speak like this to me? Saul says, I don't deserve this honor to be bestowed to be the very first king of Israel. Fast forward just six chapters to when God had told Saul to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. And he did not do so as God had instructed. And Samuel is reminding Saul of his change of heart. And he says, Samuel said to him, when you were little in your own eyes... Were you not head of the tribe of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? So remember in your mind, you once were a man of a humble nature and of a humble heart. You evidently have become arrogant somewhere along the way and felt like you could do things the way you wanted to. You see, a memory is good. A memory helps us to think back to where we were and what we did and what our status was. And that's what Paul is trying to do here. He says, remember that you once Gentiles. The very first thing that I would imagine some people would ask us, what really is a Gentile? Who is a Gentile? Am I one or you one? A Gentile is simply not a Jew. The word refers to the nations. Everybody in the world who is a person who is not a Jew is a Gentile. And so Paul says, remember that you once Gentiles. And then he begins to describe their status. And part of the way that he will describe their status is the way they were perceived In the minds of other people and the way they were perceived in the mind of God. As you begin, first of all, he says, You were called uncircumcision by the circumcision. That's a a term that they had used. You've got to understand where this term comes from and what it means and why they said that. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. When God chose Abraham from among all the people of the earth, and he says, in your seed I will bless all the nations of the earth, he chose Abraham and he says, now I'm going to mark you by a sign. In Genesis chapter 17, beginning with verse 10, my covenant which shall you, you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. That was the way they were marked, so to speak, physically marked, that they were descendants of Abraham, that they were Jews. So that's the reason why you have uncircumcised and circumcised Jew and Gentile. That's what they call them. But many times the use of that term, uncircumcised, was a derisive term. That is, it was meant to be shameful or suggesting you're not as good as I am. When Peter was sent by God to the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he realized that it was not something that was ordinary. In fact, the Lord had to give him a vision. Back in chapter 9 of a sheep being let down from heaven saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter would say, No, Lord, nothing common or unclean has ever entered in my mouth. And the Lord said, Peter, what I have cleansed do you, not, you should not call common or unclean. When Peter came back from Caesarea, Acts 11 and verse 3 it says, They said to him, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Notice the Jews were rebuking Peter. You shouldn't have done that. You went to Gentiles. You went to the uncircumcised. You ate with them. You ought not have eaten with them. We don't have anything to do with them. Paul emphasizes here something that you should not miss. He says, made in the flesh by hands. And what he's drawing attention to is there was a sense in which these people who were called the circumcision were not always what they claimed to be. In Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 25, Paul will use a statement there that's really important. Trying to explain to the Jew why they were not who all they claimed to be. For the circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. And now notice the kicker here in verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the Spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. What's Paul's point? These people who call you this may not always be as they claim to be. Now, the Jews did have a benefit, though. There was something that was beneficial to them. According to Paul in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, what advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? He says, much in every way chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. They had a written message from God. Now how does this apply when Paul's talking about the status? From the Jewish man's eyes he looked down at the Gentile and said, he's an old uncircumcised heathen. He has no value. He's no good. But God says that's in their eyes. So God then points out the status from His perspective. He says at that time, and I will tell you that's B.C., before being a Christian, looking back to who you were, He said you were without Christ. You didn't know, you didn't have the anointed one of God. That great Messiah promised from the Old Testament. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. The word commonwealth is built on our English word politic. Which means a citizenship. You were not a part of the citizenship of Israel. He said you were strangers from the covenants of promise. There was a covenant given to Abraham. There was another covenant that followed that given by Moses. You were strangers to those. Having no hope and without God in the world. What was your status at that time before you became a Christian? You were lost. You had no hope. You didn't have God. Remembering who you were will help you appreciate who you are now. You and I need to remember what it was like before we became a Christian. Now, I became a Christian as a young boy, as I'm assuming many of you did in your youth. But I can tell you I remember very vividly before I became a Christian, laying awake at night, Worrying, if I die, I'm going to be lost. Paul wants the Gentiles to see who they were. Number two, he wants them to understand reconciliation. Read with me now, beginning with verse 13, going through verse 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were near and to those who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Notice this, but now, in contrast to at that time. You have to look at where you are right now. Now just, I want you to think at yourself. Look look at yourself Financially, where are you today as compared to where you were 20 years ago? Look at yourself and think about where you are now physically, your health. How does it compare to where you were 20 years ago? I know some of you kids have got to go back before you were born, but some of you a little older, you think about that. Think about yourself spiritually where you are now, what you enjoyed that you didn't before you became a Christian. He says, now you're in Christ Jesus. You're in His body. You're in His church. You're where these blessings are to be found. You who were far off have been brought near. Now that's a very important phrase because it describes spiritual distance. Do you realize that some people are close to God And some people are far off from God. Those people who had been given God's law and had kept God's law were really close to Him. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Call upon the Lord while He is near. Seek the Lord while He may be found. We also know that some people go way away from God. The Bible talks about Luke 15, the prodigal son who went into a far country, a long way away from the blessings of the Father, have been brought. One thing I've tried to do in preparing for each of these lessons is to take notice of the tenses of the verbs, the voice in which they're used, and the mood. In other words, those are all grammatical things. There's an active voice and a passive voice. If you say, I brought myself to church today, that means that you did the bringing. However, your children would say, I have been brought to church by my parents. That's in the passive. And what you find here is, you have been brought. You didn't bring yourself near. What brought you near? Having been brought near by the blood of Christ. We shouldn't think of it as we studied last week when we talked about grace, faith, and works. The emphasis upon grace that you and I did not initiate. We did not provide the means for our salvation. God did that. Listen to Acts 2, 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children, now here's that phrase, and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. You see, the far off were the Gentiles. These are the people who are way away from God. He said, now you've been brought near. Now, when you think about that, Paul's going to bring two other words into play here in verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. In verses 14, 15, and 17, he uses the word peace. In verses 15 and 16, he uses the word enmity. And due to time, I'm not going to go through and read this again. I just want to pull those key words out for you. Peace, enmity, peace, enmity, peace. you see that? Real hostility existed on many levels. From the Jewish perspective, there was a racial tension. The Jewish people really did believe they were superior. You don't believe that? Read Romans chapter 2. They believed that they were an instructor of the blind. They believed that they were the blessed ones. On the other side, the Greeks, there was an intellectual tension. They looked at Jews and considered them to be ignorant because they were not trained in Greek literature and the classics. There was a cultural tension between them. The Hebrews kept strict kosher food laws. They could only eat certain kinds of foods and refused to eat other kinds of foods. They had ceremonial obligations. Romans fourteen fifteen. Paul said, One man esteems one day above another and another man esteems every day alike. There are people that are at odds with one another. And what Jesus is going to do He is going to destroy this enmity, this hostility. And what it will require is breaking down that middle wall of partition, middle wall of separation. And what that involved was abolishing the old covenant in the sense that that partition was taken down between the two. And thus creating one new man a new covenant reconciling both to God because it was the same gospel preached to those who were afar off and to those who were near. Listen to Romans 1.16. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation... For everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Both get the same gospel message. Both have the same access to the Father by the same Spirit. In 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all been made to drink into one spirit and in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 through 20 Paul is going to drive home the idea that their role was that of a ministry of reconciliation last phrase in verse 18 and in verse 20 now then we are as ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God You see, what Paul's message was is, it's my job as a gospel preacher is to reconcile everybody together unto God. You cannot miss the emphasis on the unity of God's people here in one body. You get over to chapter 4 into one body. So you have remember, reconciled, and number three is resident. Let's take those last few verses here, verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, therefore, he continues the discussion of their present state. Their present state is now they are not strangers and foreigners. A stranger or a foreigner is a person who is an alien, who is a visitor. I love the privilege of traveling to other places. You enter into a country and you have to go through what's called immigration. And they take your passport and they'll either stamp it as a visitor or as a person who has a work visa. So whether you go to Germany or you go to Israel or you go to Egypt or you go to any of these countries, you go through immigration. People do the same thing when they come to our country. In that sense, they are an alien. They don't belong here. And thus, they are visitors. Paul says, that's not who you are now. You belong here. There are many people who come to our country as visitors, as aliens and have gone through the proper legal process to become a citizen of our country. They have gone through all the steps and they have now become a naturalized citizen. As a naturalized citizen, they can vote. They can own property. They can do the same things that those who are natural citizens are able to do. That in reality is the figure that Paul is trying to drive home now. You who were once afar off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once aliens from the commonwealth of Israel are now residents. You belong here. You are fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens with the saints. And then I like the way he puts this last Members of the household of God. The word household indicates family. We've got a song we sing. We're a part of the family. And it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. Whether you're slave or free. Whether you are male or female, Galatians 3.26. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. His picture is that of a foundation of a building being built. A house being constructed around it. And he says it grows up into a holy temple. A place where God resides. I don't know that I could communicate properly here all that is wound up an integral part of this great teaching but to emphasize you're now a resident. What a tremendous blessing to see what one has been and what you have now or maybe perhaps what you can have. You see I'm persuaded we have people here this morning that have not yet become a child of God. And you see, that's really what Paul did when he went from city to city and place to place is to preach that gospel to encourage people to believe in Jesus Christ, to repent of their sins, to be baptized, and then to be added to Christ's body, to his church. Acts 2, verse 47. You can enjoy that too. To get what they got, you must do what they did. And what those Ephesians did was to hear the message of the gospel, to repent of their sins, confess their faith in Christ, and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. If you need to do that, we're going to sing this invitation song, and we encourage you to respond as together we stand and sing.